Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is a new bi-weekly or monthly, depending on the content discussed really, episodic podcast which focuses on the history, literature and folk literature and will in future host discussions of all these topics and more from the regions of the Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia, including Mongolia and the Russian Far East, and South Asia. In this series of The Great Khan's Tent, I will be reading The Thousand and One Nights, or commonly referred to as The Arabian Nights. Two translations will be used as a basis of this podcast, the four-volume The Thousand and One Nights, The Arabian Nights Entertainment, translated by Edward William Lane and Stanley Lane Poole, and the three-volume Tales from the Arabic of the Breslau and Calcutta editions of the book by John Payne. I will be using various additional translations, including those by Richard Burton and Malcolm C. Lloyds, as a guide to ensure that I provide the full accuracy of these tales. I have also kept the religious themes which appear or which I may add, to provide not only more authenticity, but to root it in the cultural and religious backgrounds of which these works were meant to convey. In each episode, you may notice that a background track has been provided, like this. This is a result of my editorial decision to include a background track when there is some interaction between a human and a jinn, an otherworldly being that is a common race that frequently appears in these tales. You may also notice that many of these episodes may not have a background track. This again is an editorial decision. The method of transmission of these tales were through the local coffee shops at Baghdad, Damascus, Cairo, Jerusalem, or any other place in the pre-modern Islamic world. I try to provide the best replication of that atmosphere as I can. At the end of each episode, I will provide definitions of certain words used to ensure that the listener is aware of what they mean, as some words may not have been used recently, may have fallen out of use, or rarely appear. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great constant at gmail.com. Once again, that is in all lowercase in the great constant at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening. And now on with the show. In this episode, we look at the beginning of the thousand and one nights with night one and two with the story of the merchant and the jinn. Note the roles that the jinn play in these tales and how the structure of the narrative is formed as this structure will be developed further on and become all too common as we get on. We also look at the beginning of night 3 with the opening of the tale of the fisherman which is one of the more commonly known tales. As you are listening, pay attention to the deeper layers and meanings of what these tales are trying to convey that is distinct from the outer shell interpretation. Auzubillah min ash-shaytan nirajim bismillahir rahman nirahim 
in the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. I praise be to God, the Lord of the two worlds, and blessing and peace upon the Prince of the Prophets, our Lord and Master, Muhammad sallam, whom God bless and preserve with abiding and continuing peace and blessing until the day of the faith. To proceed, the lives of former generations are a lesson to posterity that a man may review the remarkable events which have happened to others and be admonished, and may consider the history of people of preceding ages and of that hath befallen them and be restrained. Extolled be the perfection of him who hath thus ordained the history of former generations to be a lesson to those which follow. Such are the tales of a thousand and one nights, with their romantic stories and their fables. The First Night I have heard, O fortunate king, said Sherazad, that there was a certain merchant who had great wealth, and traded extensively with surrounding countries. One day he mounted his horse and journeyed to a neighboring country to collect what was due to him, and the heat oppressing him, he sat under a tree in a garden, put his hand into his saddlebag, and ate a morsel of bread and a date which were among his provisions. Having eaten the date, he threw aside the stone, and immediately there appeared before him a jinn of enormous height, who, holding a drawn sword in his hand, approached him and said, Rise, that I may kill thee, as thou hast killed my son. The merchant asked, How have I killed thy son? He answered, When thou ate the date, and threw aside the stone, it struck my son upon the chest, and as fate had decreed against him, he instantly died. The merchant, on hearing these words, exclaimed, Warily to God we belong, and warily to him we must return. There is no strength nor power but in God, the High, the Great. If I killed him, I did not do so intentionally, but without knowing it, and I trust in thee that thou wilt pardon me. The jinn answered, Thy death is indispensable, as thou hast killed my son. And so saying, he dragged him and threw him on the ground, and raised his arm to strike him with the sword. The merchant, upon this, wept bitterly, and said to the jinn, I commit my affairs unto God, for no one can avoid what hath been decreed. And he continued his lamentation, repeating the following verses. Time consists of two days, this bright and that gloomy, and life of two moieties, this safe and that fearful. Say to him who hath taunted us on account of misfortune, Doth fortune oppose any but the eminent? Dost thou not observe that corpses float upon the sea, while the precious pearls remain in its furthest depths? When the hands of time play with us, misfortune is imparted to us by its protracted kiss. In the heaven are stars that cannot be numbered, but none is eclipsed save the sun and the moon. How many green and dry trees are on the earth, but none is assailed with stones save that which beareth fruit. Thou thoughtest well of the days when they went well with thee, and fearest not the evil that destiny was bringing. When he had finished reciting these verses, the jinn said to him, 
Spare thy words, for thy death is unavoidable. Then said the merchant, Know, O Jinn, that I have debts to pay, and I have much property, and children, and a wife, and I have pledges also in my possession. Let me therefore go back to my house, and give to everyone his due, and then I will return to thee. I bind myself by a vow and covenant that I will return to thee, and thou shalt do what thou wilt, and God is witness of what I say. Upon this the jinn accepted his covenant, and liberated him, granting him respite until the expiration of the year. The merchant therefore returned to his town, accomplished all that was upon his mind to do, paid every one what he owed him, and informed his wife and children of the event which had befallen him, upon hearing which they and all his family and women wept. He appointed a guardian over his children, and remained with his family until the end of the year, when he took his grave clothes under his arm, bade farewell to his household and neighbors, and all his relations, and went forth in spite of himself, his family raising cries of lamentation and shrieking. He proceeded until he arrived at the garden before mentioned, and it was the first day of the new year, and he sat weeping for the calamity which he expected soon to befall him. And the sheikh, advancing in years, approached him, leading a gazelle with a chain attached to its neck. This sheikh saluted the merchant, wishing him a long life, and said to him, What is the reason of thy sitting alone in this place, seeing that it is a resort of the jinn? The merchant therefore informed him of what had befallen him with the jinn, and of the cause of his sitting there, at which the sheikh, the owner of the gazelle, was astonished, and said, By Allah, O my brother, thy faithfulness is great, and thy story wonderful. If it were engraved upon the intellect, it would be a lesson to him who would be admonished. And he sat down by his side, and said, By Allah, O my brother, I will not quit this place until I see what will happen unto thee with this jinn. So he sat down and conversed with him, and the merchant became almost senseless. Fear entered him, and terror, and violent grief, and excessive anxiety, as the owner of the gazelle sat by his side. Lo, a second sheikh approached him with two black hounds, and inquired of him, after saluting them, the reason of their sitting in the place seeing that it was a resort of the jinn, and they told him the story from beginning to end. And he had hardly sat down when there approached him a third sheikh with a dapple mule, and he asked them the same question, which was answered in the same manner. Immediately after, the dust was agitated and became an enormous revolving pillar, approaching them from the midst of the desert. And this dust settled, and behold, the jinn, with a great drawn sword in his hand, his eyes casting forth sparks of fire. He came to them and dragged them from the merchant and said to him, Rise that I may kill thee as thou killest my son, the vital spirit of my heart. And the merchant wailed and wept, and the three sheikhs also manifested their sorrow by weeping and crying out loud and wailing. But the first sheikh who was the owner of the gazelle, recovering his self-possession, 
kissed the hand of the jinn and said to him, O thou jinn, and crown of the kings of the Jan, if I relate to thee the story of myself and this gazelle, and thou find it to be wonderful, and more so than the adventure of this merchant, will thou give up to me a third of thy claim to his blood? The jinn answered, Yes, O sheikh, if thou relate to me the story, and I find it to be as thou hast said, I will give up to thee a third of my claim to his blood. The story of the first sheikh and the gazelle. Then said the sheikh, Know, O jinn, that this gazelle is the daughter of my paternal uncle, and she is of my flesh and my blood. I took her as my wife when she was young, and lived with her about thirty years. But I was not blessed with a child by her, so I took me a concubine slave, and by her I was blessed with a male child, like the rising full moon, with beautiful eyes, and delicately shaped eyebrows, and perfectly formed limbs, and he grew up by little and little, till he attained the age of fifteen years. At this period I unexpectedly had occasion to journey to a certain city and went hither with a great stock of merchandise. Now my cousin, this gazelle, had studied enchantment and divination from her early years, and during my absence she transformed the youth above mentioned into a calf and his mother into a cow and committed them to the care of the herdsmen. And when I returned after a long time from my journey, I asked after my son and his mother. And she said, Thy slave is dead, and thy son has fled, and I know not whither he is gone. After hearing this, I remained for the space of a year with mourning heart and weeping eye, until the festival of the sacrifice, when I sent to the herdsman and ordered him to choose for me a fat cow, and he brought me one, and it was my concubine whom this gazelle had enchanted. I tucked up my skirts and sleeves, and took the knife in my hand, and prepared to slaughter her, upon which she moaned and cried so violently that I left her and ordered the herdsman to kill and skin her, and he did so, but he found in her neither fat nor flesh nor anything but skin and bone, and I repented of slaughtering her when repentance was of no avail. I therefore gave her to the herdsman and said to him, Bring me a fat calf. And he brought me my son, who was transformed into a calf. And when the calf saw me, he broke his rope, came to me, and fawned upon me, and wailed and cried. So I was moved with pity for him, and I said to the herdsman, Bring me a cow, and let this calf remain with the cattle. Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. What a good, pleasant, delightful, and sweet story this is, exclaimed Dunyazad, at which Shehrazad told her. How can this compare with what I shall tell you this coming night, if I am still alive and the king spares me? By Allah, said the king to himself, I am not going to kill her until I hear the rest of the story. And so they spent the rest of the time embracing one another until the sun had fully risen. Then the king went to his court 
as the vizier came with the shroud under his arms, and he gave his judgments, appointing some officials and dismissing others, until evening. But to the vizier's great surprise, he gave no instructions about his daughter. The court was then dismissed, and Shah Sheryar returned to his palace. The Second Night When it was the second night, Dunyazad said to Shehrazad, Sister, finish your story of the merchant and the jinn for us. With pleasure, she replied, if the shah gives me permission. And when the shah gave it, she went on. When the sheikh observed the tears of the calf, his heart sympathized with him. And he said to the herdsmen, let this calf remain with the cattle. Meanwhile, the jinn wondered at the strange story and the owner of the gazelle thus proceeded. O lord of the king of the Jan, while this happened, my cousin, this gazelle, looked on and said, Slaughter this calf, for he is fat. But I could not do it, so I ordered the herdsman to take him back, and he took him and went away. And as I was sitting on the following day, he came to me and said, O my master, I have to tell thee something thou wilt be rejoiced to hear, and the reward is due to me for bringing good news. I answered, Well, and he said, O merchant, I have a daughter who learnt enchantment in her youth from an old woman in our family, and yesterday when thou givest me the calf, I took him to her, and she looked at him, and covered her face, and wept, and then laughed, and said, O my father, hath my condition become so degraded in thy opinion that thou bringest before me strange men? Where, said I, are any strange men? And wherefore didst thou weep and laugh? She answered, This calf that is with thee is the son of our master, the merchant, and the wife of our master hath enchanted him and his mother. And this was the reason of my laughter. But as to the reason of my weeping, it was on account of his mother, because his father had slaughtered her. And I was excessively astonished at this, and scarcely was I certain that the light of morning had appeared when I hastened to inform thee. When I heard, O Jinn, the words of the herdsman, I went forth with him, intoxicated without wine, from the excessive joy and happiness that I received, and arrived at his house, where his daughter welcomed me, and kissed my hand, and the calf came to me and fawned upon me. And I said to the herdsman's daughter, Is it true which thou hast said respecting this calf? She answered, Yes, O my master, he is verily thy son, and the spirit of thy heart. O maiden, said I, if thou wilt restore him, all the cattle and other property of mine that thy father has under his care shall be thine. Upon this she smiled and said, O my master, I have no desire for the property unless on two conditions. The first is that thou shalt marry me to him, and the second that I shall enchant her who enchanted him, and so restrain her, otherwise I will not be secure from her artifice. On hearing, O Jin, these words, I said, And thou shalt have all the property that is under the care of thy father besides. And as to my cousin, 
even her blood shall be lawful to thee. So when she heard this, she took a cup and filled it with water and repeated a spell over it and sprinkled with it the calf, saying to him, If Allah created thee a calf, remain in this form and be not changed. But if thou be enchanted, return to thy original form by permission of Allah, whose name be exalted, upon which he shook and became a man, and I threw myself upon him, and I said, I conjure thee by Allah that thou relate to me all that my cousin did to thee and to thy mother. So he related to me all that had happened to them both, and I said to him, O my son, Allah hath given thee one to liberate thee and to avenge thee. And I married to him, O Jinn, the herdsman's daughter, after which she transformed my cousin into this gazelle, saying, This is a beautiful shape and not a brutish one, repellent to the sight. The girl stayed with us for some time until Allah chose to take her to himself, and my son went off to India, the country of the man with whom you have had this experience. I myself took my wife this gazelle and have traveled from place to place looking for news of him until fate brought me here and I saw this merchant sitting weeping and asked him what had happened to him and when he had informed me I sat down to see the result. This is my story. The jinn said, this is a wonderful tale and I give up to thee a third of my claim to his blood. The second sheikh, the owner of the two hounds, then advanced and said to the jinn, If I relate to thee a story of myself and these hounds, and thou find it to be in like manner wonderful, will thou remit to me also a third of thy claim to the blood of this merchant? The jinn answered, Yes. The story of the second sheikh and the two black hounds. Then said the sheikh, Know, O lord of the kings of the Jan, that these two hounds are my brothers. On his death my father left us three thousand dinars, and each of us opened a shop for trade. I had not been there for long before my eldest brother sold the contents of his shop for a thousand dinars, bought trade goods, and made a journey with a stock of merchandise, and was absent from us for the space of the year with the caravans after which he returned destitute. I said to him, Did I not advise thee to abstain from traveling? But he wept and said, O my brother, Allah, to whom be ascribed all might and glory, decreed this event. There is no longer any profit in these words. I have nothing left. So I took him up into the shop and then went with him to the bath and clad him in a costly suit of my own clothing, after which we sat down together to eat. And I said to him, O my brother, I will calculate the gain of my shop during the year and divide it exclusive of the principal between me and thee. Accordingly, I made the calculations and found my gain to amount to 2,000 pieces of gold. And I praised Allah to whom be ascribed all might and glory and rejoiced exceedingly and divided the gain in two equal parts between myself and him. Sometime later, my second brother, now this other dog, sold everything he had with the intention of traveling. We unsuccessfully tried to stop him, 
but he brought trade goods and set out with some others. He too spent a whole year before coming back to me in the same state as his brother. Brother, I told him, didn't I tell you not to go? But he replied, this was something decreed by faith, and here I am, a poor man, penniless and without even a shirt. I took him to the baths and gave him a new suit of my own clothes to put on, before bringing him to my shop, where we then ate and drank. I told him, Brother, I check the accounts of my shop once every new year, and any surplus I find I shall share with you. When I did my audit, I found I had 2,000 dinars, and after praising the exalted creator, I gave him a 1,000 and kept the other 1,000 for myself. After this, when we had lived together for some time, my brothers again wished to travel and were desirous that I should accompany them, but I would not. What, said I, have you gained in your travels that I should expect to gain? They importuned me, but I would not comply with their request, and we remained selling and buying in our shops a whole year. Still, however, they persevered in proposing that we should travel, and I still refused until after the lapse of six entire years, when at last I consented and said to them, O oh my brothers, let us calculate what property we possess. We did so and found it to be six thousand pieces of gold. And then I said to them, We will bury half of it in the earth, and it may be of service to us if any misfortune befell us, in which case each of us shall take a thousand pieces with which to travel. Excellent is thy advice, said they. So I took the money and divided it into two equal portions and buried three thousand pieces of gold and of the other half I gave to each of them a thousand pieces. We then prepared merchandise and hired a ship and embarked our goods and proceeded on our voyage for the space of a whole month at the expiration of which we arrived at a city where we sold our merchandise and for every piece of gold we gained ten. And when we were about to set sail again, we found on the shore of the sea a maiden clad in tattered garments, who kissed my hands and said to me, O oh, my master, art thou possessed of charity and kindness? If so, I will require thee for them. Yes, I have those qualities, though thou requite me not. Then she said, O oh, my master, accept me as thy wife, and take me to thy country, for I give myself to thee. Act kindly towards me, for I am one who requires to be treated with kindness and charity, and who will requite thee for doing so, and let not my present condition at all deceive thee. When I heard these words, my heart was moved with tenderness towards her, in order to the accomplishment of a purpose of Allah, to which be ascribed all might and glory. And I took her, and I clothed her, and furnished for her a place in my ship in a handsome manner, and regarded her with kind and respectful attention. When we set sail, and I became most cordially attached to my wife, so that on her account I neglected the society of my brothers, who in consequence became jealous of me, and likewise envied me my wealth and the abundance of my merchandise, casting the eyes of covetousness upon the whole of the property. They therefore consulted together to kill me and take my wealth, saying, Let us kill our brother, and all property shall be ours. And the devil made these actions seem fair in their eyes. So they came to me while I was sleeping by the side of my wife, 
and took both of us up and threw us into the sea. But as soon as my wife awoke, she shook herself and became transformed into a genia. She immediately bore me away and placed me upon an island and for a while disappeared. In the morning, however, she returned and said to me, I am thy wife who carried thee and rescued thee from death. By permission of Allah, whose name be exalted, know that I am a genia. I saw thee and my heart loved thee for the sake of Allah. For I am a believer in Allah and his apostle. God bless and save him. I came to thee in the condition in which thou saw me, and thou did marry me. And see, I have rescued thee from drowning, but I am incensed against thy brothers, and I must kill them. When I heard her tale, I was astonished and thanked her for what she had done. But said I, as to the destruction of my brothers, it is not what I desire. I then related to her all that had happened between myself and them from first to last. And when she heard it, she said, I will this next night fly to them and sink their ships and destroy them. But I said, I conjure thee by Allah that thou do it not. For author of the proverb saith, O thou benefactor of him who hath done evil, the action that he hath done is sufficient for him. Besides, they are at all events my brothers. Still, she, however, said, they must be killed, and I continued to appropriate towards her. And at last she lifted me up and soared through the air and placed me on the roof of my house. Having opened the doors, I dug up what I had hidden in the earth, and after I had saluted my neighbors and brought merchandise, I opened my shop. And in the following night, when I entered my house, I found these two dogs tied up in it, and as soon as they saw me, they came to me and wept and clung to me, but I knew not what had happened until immediately my wife appeared before me and said, These are thy brothers, and who, said I, hath done this unto them? She answered, I sent to my sister, and she did it, and they shall not be restored until after the lapse of ten years. And I was now on my way to her that she might restore them, as they have been in this state ten years when I saw this man, and being informed of what had befallen him, I determined not to quit the place until I should have seen what would happen between thee and him. This is my story. Verily, said the jinn, it is a wonderful tale, and I give up to thee a third of the claim I had to his blood on account of this offense. Upon this, the third sheikh, the owner of the mule, said to the jinn, as to me, break not my heart if I relate to thee nothing more than this. The story of the third sheikh and the mule. Sultan and leader of the jinn. This mule was my wife. I had been away for a year on my travels, and when I had finished, I came back to her. This was at night, and I saw a black slave laying in bed with her. The two of them talked, flirted, laughed, kissed, and played with each other. My wife caught sight of me and came to me with a jug of water over which she uttered a spell. She sprinkled the water over me and said, Leave the shape of yours and take the form of a dog. Immediately I became a dog and she drove me out through the door of the house. I went on until I came to a butcher's shop where I started gnawing bones. The butcher saw me and took me into his house where his daughter covered her face from me and said, Are you bringing a man 
in to me? Where is there a man? asked the father. And she said, This dog is a man over whom his wife cast a spell, but I can free him from it. Do that for Allah's sake, said her father. And she took a jug of water, spoke some words over it, and sprinkled some of it on me. Go back to your original shape, she said, and this is what I did. I kissed the girl's hand and said, I would like you to use your magic to do to my wife what she did to me. She gave me some water and told me, When you find her asleep, sprinkle this water over her and say what you like, for she will become whatever you want. I took the water and went to my wife, whom I found sleeping. I sprinkled her with the water and said, Leave this shape and become a mule, which she did there and then, and it is she whom you can see, Sultan and chief of the Shahs of the Jinn. Is that true? The man asked the mule, at which it nodded its head, conveying by gesture the message. That is my story, and that is what happened to me. When the sheikh had finished his tale, the jinn, trembling with delight, granted him a third of the merchant's blood. Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. What a good, pleasant, delightful, and sweet story this is, exclaimed Dunyazad, at which Shehrazad told her, How can this compare with what I shall tell you this coming night? If I am still alive and the Shah spares me, by Allah, said the Shah to himself, I am not going to kill her until I hear the rest of this remarkable story. And so they spent the rest of the time embracing one another until the sun had fully risen. Then the Shah went to his court. The troops arrived together with the vizier, and when everyone was there, he gave his judgments, appointing some officials, dismissing others, and issuing orders and prohibitions until evening. The court was then dismissed and the Shah returned to his palace where, when night came, he lay again with Shehrazad. The Third Night When it was the third night, Dunyazad asked her sister to finish the story. With pleasure, said Shehrazad, and went on. I have heard, O fortunate king, that the third old man told the Ifrit. And now I hope that thou wilt remit to me also a third of the merchant's offense. Divinely was he gifted who said, So good, even on an unworthy soil, for it will not be lost wherever it is sown. When the sheikh had thus finished his story, the jinn shook with delight, and remitted the remaining third of his claim to the merchant's blood. The merchant then approached the sheikhs, thanked them, and they congratulated him on his safety, and each went his way. But this, said Shehrazad, is not more wonderful than the story of the fisherman. The Shah asked her, and what is the story of the fisherman? And she related it as follows. The story of the fisherman. There was a certain fisherman advanced in age, who had a wife and three children, and though he was in indigent circumstances, it was his custom to cast his net every day, no more than four times. One day he went forth at the hour of noon to the shore of the sea, and put down his basket, and cast his net, and waited until it was motionless in the water. 
when he drew together the strings and found it to be heavy. He pulled, but could not draw it up, so he took the end of the cord and knocked a stake into the shore and tied a cord to it. He then stripped himself and dived around the net and continued to pull until he drew it out, whereupon he rejoiced and put on his clothes. But when he came to examine the net, he found it to be a carcass of an ass. At the sight of this, he mourned and exclaimed, There is no strength, no power, but in Allah, the high and great. This is a strange piece of fortune, and repeated the following verse. O thou who occupiest thyself in the darkness of night, spare thy trouble, for the support of providence is not obtained by toil. He also recited, You who court danger, diving in the dark of the night, give up your efforts, do not win your daily bread from Allah. The fisherman rises to earn his keep. There is the sea with stars woven in the sky. He plunges in, buffeted by waves, his eyes fixed on his billowing net. Happy with his night's work, he takes back home. A fish with its jaw caught up on his pronged hook. The fish is brought from him by one who spends his night out of the cold enjoying his comforts. Praise be to Allah who gives and who deprives. For one man eats the fish, another catches it. He encouraged himself, saying that Almighty Allah would show favor and recite it. When you are faced with hardship, clothe yourself in noble patience. That is more resolute. Do not complain then to Allah's servants. You complain to those who have no mercy of the merciful. He then disencumbered his net of the dead ass and wrung it out, after which he spread it and descended into the sea, and exclaiming, In the name of Allah, cast it again, and waited till it had sunk and was still, when he pulled it and found it more heavy and more difficult to raise than on the former occasion. He therefore concluded that it was full of fish, so he tied it and stripped and plunged and dived and pulled until he raised it and drew it upon the shore when he found in it only a large jar full of sand and mud on seeing which he was troubled in his heart and repeated the following words of the poet o angry faith forbear for if thou wilt not forbear relent neither favour from fortune do i gain nor profit from the work of my hands I come forth to seek my sustenance, but have found it to be exhausted. How many of the ignorant are in splendor, and how many the wise in obscurity? So saying, he threw aside the jar, and wrung out and cleaned his net, and, begging the forgiveness of Allah for his impatience, returned to the sea the third time, and threw his net, and waited until it had sunk, and was motionless. Then he drew it out, and found it in it a quantity of broken jars and pots. Upon this, he raised his head towards the heavens and said, O Allah, thou knowest that I cast not my net more than four times, and I have now cast it three times. He was furious, and shedding bitter tears, he recited, You have no power at all over your daily bread. Neither learning nor letters will fetch it for you. Fortune and sustenance are divided up. One land is fertile while another suffers drought. Times changes brings down cultured men, while fortune lifts the undeserving up.
Come, death, and visit me, for life is vile. Falcons are brought down low, while ducks are raised on high. Feel no surprise if you should see a man of excellence in poverty, while an inferior holds sway. One bird circles earth from east to west, another gets his food but does not have to move. Then exclaiming, In the name of Allah, he cast the net again into the sea and waited till it was still. When he attempted to drop it up but could not, for it clung to the bottom, and he exclaimed, There is no strength nor power but in Allah, and went on, How wretched is this kind of world that leaves us in such trouble and distress. In the morning it may be that things go well, but I must drink destruction's cup when evening comes. Yet when it is asked who leads the easiest life, men would reply that this was I, and stripped himself again and dived around the net, and pulled it until he raised it upon the shore, when he opened it and found in it a bottle of brass filled with something, and having its mouth closed with a stopper of lead, bearing the impression of our master Suleiman, the son of Daoud, on both of whom be peace. Welcome to the vocabulary section for episode 2. First, let us discuss some terms that we have heard in this episode. Sheikh is an honorific title in the Arabic language, designated as a chief of a tribe or a royal family member. It can also be given to those of great knowledge in religious affairs as a surname by a prestigious religious leader from a chain of Sufi scholars. The term is also literally translated to elder. John. Johns are ancestors of jinn in Islamic related beliefs. They were said to have inhabited the earth before Adam. Festival of Sacrifice. The great festival commencing on the 10th of Zurul Hijjah when pilgrims halting on their return from Mount Arafat to Mecca in the valley of Mine perform their sacrifice. Suleiman. No man ever obtained such absolute power over the jinn as Suleiman ibn Daud, Solomon, the son of David. This he did by virtue of a most wonderful talisman, which is said to have come down to him from heaven. It was a seal ring upon which was engraved the most great name of God and was partially composed of brass and partly of iron. With the brass he stamped his written commands to the good jinn. With the iron, which they greatly dread, those to the evil jinn or devils. Over both orders he had unlimited power, as well as over the birds and the winds, and as is generally said, the wild beasts. Asaf, the son of Barkhia, is also said to have been acquainted with the most great name by uttering which the greatest miracles may be performed, even that of raising the dead. By virtue of this name engraved on his ring, Suleiman compelled the jinn to assist in building the Temple of Jerusalem and in various other works. Many of the evil jinn he converted to the true faith, and many others of this class who remained obstinate in infidelity he confined to prisons. Vocabulary Moieties means each of two parts into which a thing is or can be divided. Assailed. 
Make concerted or violent attack on. Remit. Cancel or refrain from exacting or inflicting a debt or a punishment. Posterity. All future generations of people. Provisions. The action of providing or supplying something for use. Verily, truly or certainly. Lamentation. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Weeping. Doth. Archaic third person singular present of do. Respite. A short period of rest or relief from something difficult or unpleasant. Exalted. Placed at a high or powerful level, held in high regard. Dinar. Is a half a guinea. A guinea is an old English currency worth ten shillings and six pence. Destitute. Without the basic necessities of life. Sawist. Second person singular simple present form of saw. Incensed. Very angry or enraged. Indigent. Poor or needy. Providence. The protective care of God or nature as a spiritual power. Forbear. Politely or patiently restrain an impulse to do something. If you would like to donate to help this podcast, although it is not necessary to do so, in the Great Khan's tent will soon have a Patreon, PayPal, and other avenues of donations set up soon. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.